Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Can you, if you like to follow in the Bible, um, turn with me to our passage for this morning, which comes from Matthew. It's actually two stories side by side. Oh, well done, Anne. Bibles, you want a Bible, put your hand up. There's one coming. I have no idea. Matthew 21, and we're going to start reading in verse 12. Could someone shout out the page number? 989. And in your own Bible, Matthew 21, verse 12. These two stories side by side, are linked together. One is to do with cleansing, and the other is to do with cursing. And what I want to suggest is that we're going to see just the simple essentials of what God wants in his house, his home, and how easily that gets replaced with other things. The things that God wants in his home get pushed out and other things get in in a place that they shouldn't be in. Right, Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read... From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it, except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This was a very dramatic moment. Jesus, um, instead of arriving in Jerusalem to confront Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and to begin expelling the Roman army, as many people expected him to do, he comes into the city and he launches a ferocious attack on his own nation, and particularly on its religious leaders, um, especially for what was going on in the temple, there right at the heart of the city. This is my house, 
he calls it. And I'm not having you doing what you are doing in my house. What does God want in his house? Pause while preacher looks at congregation and congregation think, oh no, he expects us to say something now. Prayer. Prayer, one. Was that at the, right at the back? Was that Peter? Heartfelt worship, yes. Anything else? Does it say that here? It's a good answer. Cora, it's a great answer. Does it come from the passage? Right. Chucking out with them because they were crooks. Yes. He chucks out the buyers as well as the sellers. He wants the whole lot out. Yeah? But one or two other things we'll notice as we go through. We've some good answers coming. What it had actually become, this church, this house of God, was a den of robbers. Extraordinary phrase. Supposing you were a Jew who lived down in Jericho, and you were wanting to come up to Jerusalem to worship. Now that road up from Jericho down by the Dead Sea, up to Jerusalem in the hills, where the, the temple was, was a notorious road. Jesus actually used it in his story of the Good Samaritan. You remember the, the man that was walking down the opposite way. Supposing you were going up to worship. But this was a road that twisted and turned, and it went down into dark gullies, and became quite dark, and it was notorious for, for street robbers, for, for muggers and thieves. And you would travel that road with your heart in your mouth. But you knew that at the end of the road, when you arrived safely in Jerusalem, there was a place of, of safety, a place where you could uh, come to what God had provided, a haven where his rule would <clears throat> operate and you would be safe. But Jesus is saying, look, you may come as a worshipper up to Jerusalem and when you arrive in that temple, God's house, at the center of Jerusalem, you find that it isn't safe at all. That place has actually become the headquarters of the thieves. You're more likely to get robbed there in the temple then outside on the road, either coming or going. You imagine what a horror that, that is. Or imagine that you are um, a spiritually minded Gentile. And you long, in your heart of hearts, to find something somewhere in the world um, that just is more satisfying to your soul than the pagan religions that you've been used to or been brought up with. Either ancient forms of Hinduism going back 3,000 years, or the sexual fantasies of Greek mystery religions, or, or whatever. African witchcraft. You just long to find something, so you go to Jerusalem. To the temple you hear of the living God, the creator of the entire world. Because you are looking for a religion of purity, and generosity, and justice, and truth. But you come to this temple in Jerusalem and you find that it's no better than anywhere else. It is corrupt. It's, it's greedy. It's horrible. 
you walk into the court of the Gentiles, that big outer area, it is the only place that you as a Gentile are allowed in. You may not go any further, and it's like a meat market. It would be like trying to find a quiet place to pray in the middle of the New York Stock Exchange. That's what it was like. And so you, as a spiritually minded Gentile, wanting to seek and to find God, you conclude that this place, this God, isn't any different from any other. That's the situation. And Jesus launches his attack and clears it. He steps across the threshold. He shouts above the noise scriptures from the great Old Testament prophets, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah. And then he heaves over the table, tables in all the little alcoves and he drives out the bullocks and the pigeons and so on. What does God want in his house? That's our, our question. And I want to suggest four things, and we've had at least half of them already. And I think it is good to be reminded on a world-focused Sunday like this, what are the simple essentials of our worship and our quality here as a church or any other living church that claims to have Christ at his heart and to be his home? What should be part of our witness to the world around, even to the little girls that poke their, their nose up against the window? And what are the things that can so easily crowd in and replace what God wants? Number one, Ron came straight out with it. Verse 18, sorry, verse 13. He wants his church to be a place of prayer. Why is it, do you know, why is it that in every church so few people seem to go to the prayer meeting? Or prayer meetings, or however you organize and make opportunity for prayer in the church. Why does it if you go? And why is it when people gather together to be God's house together, prayer is so often downgraded? I want my house to be a house of prayer, where people come and feel free to pray, are helped to pray, are prayed for, where prayer is just part of what we naturally do. I want my house to be house of prayer. And secondly, He wants his church to be a place, um, if I may put it like this, of evangelistic compassion for the world. One of the scriptures that Jesus is declaring out loud is Isaiah um, 56 and from verses 6 and 7. Can I um, read to you, and if you want to turn, again, I don't know the page number, sorry, but it's Isaiah 56 verses 6 and 7. It's a declaration of what the Lord is saying um, about the purposes for his people. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these, all of them, from nations, peoples, all of those people, They bind themselves to the Lord. They love the name of the Lord. They want to follow in the ways of the Lord. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. There at the end of of verse 7. Mark's gospel actually, in talking about this incident, quotes that phrase right to the end. 
Jesus says, my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. The other day, our doorbell rang at home. And I went and there was um, a lady standing there, um, heavily accented, East European accent. And she said, have you seen that British Gas have put their prices up 14%? Yes, I have seen that. Do you realize that Scottish power uh, are going to be, um, and I said, you want to get us to switch our gas supplier? Yes, she said. I said, my wife deals with all that. My standard reply when I'm busy and Trisha isn't in. So she said, well, when shall I come back? So we fixed a time when I was out. But Trisha was there. When I eventually I came back, I stepped in, into my um, living room at home and there was the, um, the lady from Russia and she'd been there two hours and Trish was, oh, they sorted out the Scottish power business in about five minutes. We now get our power from Scottish power. The rest of the time had been spent on the gospel because this woman um, is obviously an immigrant, uh, legal or not, I have no idea. Um, she has a daughter back in Russia. Uh, I know the place that she's come from. Uh, she is tired of the emptiness of the Russian Orthodox background that she knows. And yet somewhere along the line, I think when she was a school teacher in Russia, she, she met some students who were influenced by some missionaries and they would come into the class and tell her some of the Bible stories that they had picked up. And she wanted to find She's been living in Birmingham for a couple of years, hasn't found a church in Birmingham, wants to find a church that's living and alive and generous and teaches the truth of where people uh, treat each other properly. And so before I know where we are, you know, Trish is on the phone to people in Agape and, and she's being introduced to different churches and we've picked up a couple of Russian books and we're sending them to her. She is really hungry. And I tell you, there are opportunities wherever you look. Mission is not just if you go to, you know, countries of the flags apart from that one. It includes that one. Mm -hmm. And if we ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be part of a church where mission is at the heart of it. And I want to live a life that is world aware and eager for opportunities. The Lord answers those prayers because there are opportunities all around and he wants his church to be a place of evangelistic compassion for the world. And we're praying that this uh, Russian lady, Irina, um, will find the Lord through a good church and through some of those uh, contacts that we have in Birmingham. Thirdly, the Lord wants his church to be a place of healing. What happened as soon as all those commercial boys who were cheating the pilgrims, as soon as they were cleared out, what immediately then happened? The blind and the lame, first of all, began to come in. Because they had been excluded. They were not perfect. The chief priests didn't mind people who, who had a, a twisted and cheating business life. They wouldn't, they'd let them in. But someone who had some physical disability they keep them out. You imagine, once the pigeons have gone and the stock exchange has been closed down and the bullocks have all left, 
You imagine the silence that this end. And then there's a tap, tap, tap as a blind man's stick. And the scrape of a damaged foot across a stone floor in that silence as these people came out from wherever they'd been lurking and looking in and gazing. And they came to Jesus and he healed them all. Because he wants his house to be a place where such folk can come. You see the picture that's emerging? It is so essentially real and simple. I want my church to be a place of prayer, one. I want it to be a place where foreigners can come and hear the gospel. The international students, the the immigrants. My brother-in-law came to see me during the course of the week and he lives down in Newport in South Wales. And he was telling me about um, a man that has become a friend of his who is a, a Turkish Kurd, I think almost certainly an illegal immigrant originally. But this young Kurd um, has become a Christian he has then got himself a burger van, you know, one of these death vans that you see, you know, parked in, in student areas and uh, outside pubs. And so. He's got himself one of those and <clears throat> he's making money. Uh, he's now bought himself a coffee shop and then another coffee shop and then a restaurant. And he has led eight other Turkish Kurds to Christ in that downtown doxy area of Newport. God is doing some remarkable things in our midst. And he wants his church to be open to this. That I was hearing on Friday of a, an international student, a Chinese student in Guildford. Come from mainland China, studying Guildford, went up to one of the workers with Friends International, this work among international students. And this Chinese student said to the worker, it is my birthday today. So would you please read me some of the Bible and explain it to me? Hungry people. And God knows. And they're all around. I want my church to be a place of prayer and a place of compassion um, for the lost and a place where people get better. Physically, spiritually. They learn to see clearly. They learn to walk properly. They're strengthened greatly by the word of God and by Christian fellowship and by God's power present in, in the community of believers. And then we come to that fourth thing that you were talking about, Ron. The, uh, he wants his church to be a place of, of praise. Verses 15 and 16. He likes that almost childlike delight in the Saviour that those children began to um, express. They had learnt the songs probably only the day before from what the adults had been singing and saying. In verse 9 of the same chapter, if you've got your Bible and you want to look back, Hosanna to the Son of David is, is exactly what the grown-ups had been saying as they waved their palm branches and Jesus entered the city the day before on a donkey. These kids have picked it up and now they had come to Jesus in the temple precincts and they started coming out with, with the same stuff and maybe in their mouths it was more genuine because the mob in Jerusalem within only a week or so were going to be yelling the very opposite. Crucify him. Crucify him. We won't have this man to reign over us. But perhaps in the children's minds, it was genuine. You see, what Jesus wanted was for his house to be a place of prayer and mission and healing and praise. 
simple and genuine. That is what this church is to be like, and my own church, and churches that all of us would seek to, to serve. What, what Jesus found was that it was no longer fulfilling the purpose for which it had been built, at great expense. Now their religion had become largely empty, a matter just of pretense. What he found when he stepped in was self-interest, greed, and a spirit of criticism. See, the chief priests and the theologians, uh, oh dear, these, these non-regulation events in our temple, these children's songs, what on earth are we allowing to go on? They hadn't raised a whisper of protest, had they, at the uh, unholy trading practices. But a few children, particularly boys, the Greek means um, that the boys were the ones that, I mean, I could imagine this, that they sit pretty quiet now. Some of them in hoods, you know, getting trained up for, 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 for life on the street. Wouldn't it be tremendous to, to see them leading the singing and praise sometimes? These boys uh, stood up, praised the Messiah, and Jesus stood up against the theologians and the chief priests, quoting Psalm 8. True religion is prayer, mission, healing and praise. I'll just keep repeating it, uh, banging it home. How we must watch out that those essentials don't get etched out by other interests and priorities and so on. See, what happens next in these two stories is a solemn warning to us. Israel is variously symbolized in the Old Testament as an olive or a vine or a fig tree. And what happens to that fig tree is a brilliant picture of this lesson to Israel and a warning to us. The fig tree should have had some fruit on it if it had all those leaves. Even if it was only the early and rather bitter male fruit. I don't want to get too horticultural on you, but there was an early fruit uh, which the peasants used to eat it didn't even have any of that. Those early fruit that used to come were an indication of the much sweeter fruit that would come later. In fact, that tree had the leaves, but had no fruit at all. And the Lord came, hungry, looking for a bit of breakfast, on that morning on his way back into work in Jerusalem. And this fig tree was barren. It was just all pretense, leaves and nothing else. So Jesus cursed it, and it died on the spot. Better be destroyed and cut down in the mind of Jesus than always promising, always pretending, and yet actually producing nothing. Now, here is our challenge. Because it is possible for us to be covered with quite a lot of leaves. Activities, Christian stuff, known as a Christian family, maybe, coming along to church. Are these essential bits of fruit starting to grow? If, if the Lord lifts up, you know, a, a, a fig leaf is quite big. Well, it's big enough for Adam and Eve, anyway, I mean, according to the rumors. You, you lift up the fruit and there's nothing, nothing, nothing there. And the Lord looks, pulls up the leaves of our own lives. Is he finding some of these essential things that we're thinking about this morning, fruit, 
to satisfy him growing. If the Lord is challenging you about your prayer life or your compassion for the lost or whether this year you're going to pray, Lord, would you use me to touch just someone from another culture? Trish didn't have to do much. The Russian came to the door. But we meet people all the time, don't we? From other places. Or just doing good to our fellow human beings. May, may the Lord be starting to create in our hearts a desire to produce more fruit of this sort. The disciples were astonished at what happened to the tree, we read. So the Lord took the opportunity to teach them um, a further lesson, or underline a lesson, about the difference between spiritual reality and uh, just religious ritual. To drive home the difference between what he expects and longs for in his house and what human religion almost always leads to, which is a kind of a, um, a, a fruitless pretense. True religion, says Jesus, is having faith when you pray, expecting God to do something. Not merely mouthing the words. And so he used that common expression about moving mountains. It was a common Jewish expression of the day. It meant to shift the unshiftable. Get a mountain to throw it in the sea. Uh, it, it's figurative. I don't think we're supposed to go around in sort of massive landscape gardening, just, you know, praying Everest off into the Pacific and this kind of stuff. But it was a, an expression of the day, meaning to get somebody that looks unshiftable to begin to move. Usually we're the ones that are the most unshiftable. The blockages are often the most uh, solid blockages that are in our own heart. Uh, and we, we ought to be praying that the Lord will shift the unshiftable um, inside us. Don't just pray as a ritual, just a thing saying the same old words, you know, Muslims row upon row, Muslims bottoms all up in the air, praying the same thing, but you wonder just how much living faith there is. Or Tibetans with their prayer wheels going round and round and round. Or all this Jewish stuff here in the temple. Simple, trusting prayer to Almighty God who is your Father. That's what he's looking for in his house. Pray with faith and expect God to answer. The tree was gone overnight and disappeared, but it's dead. And Israel, symbolized in that fig tree, was indeed destroyed 40 years later by the Romans, just as surely. Between 66 AD and 77 AD, the land of Israel was sacked. The leaves were stripped off with terrible thoroughness. There was an unimaginable slaughter that just went on all through that land. In the heart of it, 69 and 70 AD, um, the city of Jerusalem was smashed so that they finished up not one single stone left upon another in that temple area. Can you imagine? The temple was gone. The ark was destroyed. The priests were either killed or scattered. The kingship was finished forever. The empty religion God truly hates. And it's one thing if empty religion is in the name of Allah or Buddha or Zeus, or communism. You perhaps wouldn't expect anything other than empty religion there. But empty religion in the name of God himself, he will destroy. He won't have it. 
He will cause it to be exposed and done away with because it is an insult to him. And just as we were thinking about how the temple could become so off-putting to the Gentile or the sincere Jew, so in our day, a religion that does not have what he really longs for, these expressions of his own character and priorities, he will eventually cause to be done away with. This is why World Focus Days are very important in the balance of, of a year. Because <clears throat> mission is to be at the heart of the church. It keeps us on track. It keeps us thinking about some of these things. It keeps the good mixture of vitamins in our uh, in our soup, whatever we are. I get lost in my metaphors here. Um, it's important to take days like this seriously, to stay balanced and healthy as the kind of churches that God actually wants. Upward-looking in prayer, outward-looking in mission, and not just inward-looking um, for the purposes of our own preferences and, and serving ourselves. Dead religion, especially dead Christian religion, will fall under God's judgment just as certainly as did Israel's emptiness and, and fruitlessness and pretense. Now, the last thing I want to say this morning is this. <clears throat> as we apply this, not to our church, but to ourselves. There is, I believe, if I would describe it like that, within each of us, <clears throat> a sacred place. It's God's place. It's where we <clears throat> keep our most important priorities. It's where we find strength for what we have to do in life. But it is a place in us that gets so easily invaded by other things that really shouldn't be there. You know, if you're very tired physically or emotionally, you, you notice, don't you? I believe that we can get depleted in this place that I'm talking about so quickly without us really noticing. We're not aware often this innermost important place, God's place, place for treasuring his word, place for quiet time with him, place for course setting, that place can get um, worn down or overcrowded and it is to be a place of prayer, a place of mission, a place of healing and a place of praise. This church, Saltisford, I've known for a while. And I look back, and in this very room, I mean, missionaries that have come and spoken, I can remember, I mean, probably only Roger remembers that. Peter from Japan um, wouldn't register a flicker across your screen. And Anthony from Bangladesh, Dave, we still keep in touch with. Grace from Tanzania. This church has, for a very long time, had missions woven into who we are and the fabric of our life together, and continues to this day. And we, we pray for Andy and Sandy and their kids, and, and you were praying already this morning for different ones. Thank you, David, for remembering me and, and some of the others, and for John and Jenny and so on. It has been for a long time part of, of the church. But my, my final ending plea as as we've if we've picked up this simple 
four-part thing from what God wants of his temple, that we make sure that it's just as true, not just of the church, but of, of, of that holy of holies in us too. Okay? Now you're looking at me very solemnly. So I'm going to shut my eyes and pray. Father, thank you that we were blind and we were lame and we hobbled our way into fellowship of Christians and have benefited so much. Thank you for your compassion upon us and your love for the children. And that you accept our praise even though sometimes it may be childish. And you hear our prayers. Oh God, we, we do pray for your continued mercy on us that individually we might keep that holy of holies clean and truly holy and filled with that aroma that you want. And may the church continue to be built up in a way that witnesses to the world of the grace and the compassion of the living God. For Christ's sake, amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.